Good morning, church. Great to see you. Thanks. Thanks. If you're new, uh, I don't normally get that reception. <laughs> um, I've been out for eight weeks on sabbatical, and I'm thrilled to be back with you today. Kids, you are dismissed for Gospel Project. We hope you have a wonderful time. Thanks to those of you who are uh, leading and teaching them today. Uh, church, just briefly would say uh, thank you for the time away. It was uh, restful and able to get a lot done. Uh, yesterday morning, I wrote a blog, if you're interested in more information on how that time was spent, pull it up. You can read it in just a couple minutes. I'd love for you to hear and learn some of what uh, I did while I was away. If you're uh, brand new with us today, our uh, belief is that God is alive and well, and He speaks today, and the way we can know that we're hearing from God is through His Word. So I would invite you to turn with me to the book of Philippians. We're going to be starting a new series today in that book that will take us through most of the rest of the year. Up until a few weeks from Christmas, we're going to travel uh, a journey together through this wonderful book known as uh, Philippians. I'd encourage you, if uh, you plan to be around this fall, to meet up with another member or two or somebody new and get to know them. Meet up ahead of time uh, before Sunday and read the passage we're going to be spending the time in. You can find that information on the website. I think you'll get a lot more out of subsequent sermons that way. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat, under the seat in front of you. And we'll be on page 677 in those chair Bibles. 677. Uh, Philippians is a favorite book of the Scriptures for many Christians. A lot of people really love uh, this book. And for good reason. Uh, it contains some of the most famous verses in the entire Bible. Here's a few that we'll hit this fall together. In chapter 1, verse 6, it says, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That's good news. In chapter 1, a little bit further on, he says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. In chapter 2, we see the words, And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In chapter 3, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. A little bit earlier in chapter 2, it says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And then in chapter 4, of course, it says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. These are hallmark kind of verses, and they're covered, they're everywhere throughout this wonderful book. I love this letter. We're going to have a great time together. Dre, where'd your hair go? And you have no hat on today. Your head is shining at me, dude. I had to get that off my chest. That's better. Thank you. All right. I love, 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 love this letter. Can't encourage you enough to read it, to read ahead of time, to get with other people, meet up, spend time talking about what you see there. It's going to be a magnificent fall together. Give me 90 seconds to tell you just a, a little tiny bit about the background to this letter. A guy named Paul wrote it, and probably what happened is Paul was in prison in Rome, and 
His protege, Timothy, would come and meet up with him during the day. He would come with what we would call pen and paper, and Paul would simply speak. And Timothy was right out as Paul sat chained in a prison cell in house arrest, what would become the book of Philippians. About a decade before, Paul had traveled to Philippi and shared the gospel. This was the first place in Europe that someone became a Christian. And he started a church there and fell in love with these people. It was probably his favorite church of every church he started. And now, a decade later or so, as Paul is in prison, he's staring at the executioner's sword. These dear brothers and sisters back in Philippi heard, they were afraid, they were scared, they were timid. And so Paul wrote to encourage them. And all these years later, it carries timely wisdom for us. As Paul looked at near death, he wanted to bless and encourage and strengthen his friends who were scared for themselves about what persecution might mean for them. As we consider in America growing hostility to the church, as you're here today and perhaps are considering what might it mean if I took this name, Jesus, as my own, if I became a Christian, what might it cost me to follow Jesus? That's what we'll spend the, the fall talking about together. So Philippians 1, verse 1 says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The first two verses of Philippians are what's known as the salutation or greeting, not something we do much at all anymore when we write to each other. When we write a letter or an email, how do we start it? Sup. Sup. That's good. <laughs> yeah, we, we might say the first name. Or if we're really formal, we might say dear so-and-so. So perhaps when we come to introductions or salutations like this in the Bible, we just kind of jump over them because it can't be really important. It's just the hello and the formality of starting a letter. But in actuality, there's a lot here. So let's not skip this formal introductory stuff. It does actually matter. So believe it or not, I wanna spend the next 40 minutes or so visiting with you about two verses, the greeting to the book. We're gonna to discover together that this greeting is full of truth that we either need to be reminded of or for some of us, ponder for the very first time. So I wonder if you'd consider these two verses with me this morning. Four words leap off the page, and I just wanna talk with you about those four words. They are servants, saints, grace, peace. Servants, saints, grace, peace. You'll likely notice that all four of those words are directly connected to Jesus Christ. Paul's very careful to say that he is a servant of Christ, that we are saints in Christ, and that grace and peace come from Christ. Throughout this marvelous letter, Jesus Christ is held up and praised 
and honored and worshiped and glorified and enjoyed. Philippians, from the introduction to the conclusion, is about Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's thoroughly gospel-centered, Christ-exalting, joy-producing. That's who Jesus is. Amen? We want to be that as well. Maybe you're here today and you don't know a lot about Jesus, and that's what's brought you here. Well, we're thrilled about that. We're glad that you're here. In your uh, bulletin that you were given when you came in, on the, the back side, you'll find some suggestions on what to do based on your time here this morning. And one of the things we suggest is looking up the book, Who is Jesus? It's a short book. It's pretty new. It's bright, so hopefully you'll remember it. And I have two here that I'd love to give away. One is a hard copy of this book, Who is Jesus? And the other is a nifty little download code. I'm reading on the back. You know, like you get at Starbucks, a little free music? This is a free book. So I wonder if there's two people here today that would say, I want to know more about Jesus that I could give these to. Throw your hand up. Don't be bashful. Brett. Right here, over here. Come on up, dude. Which one do you want? The book, please. That'll be okay? All right. Give these two bold dudes some love. There's several more back at the bookstall. If that's uh, something you're interested, would commend that to you as a great description of who Jesus is. Philippians is all about Jesus, and that's who Christians are to be as well. So servants, saints, grace, and peace. When, when Paul articulated this greeting and Timothy wrote it out, what they actually did is give us a brilliant definition of church. In essence, what they're saying is that the church is a family of holy servants. The church is a family of holy servants. So what I'd love to do with you this morning is consider those four words, but in reverse order. So grace and peace, saints and servants. So let's start with the first, grace and peace. Friends, what you and I most need is not a better job or more money or improved health. We do not most need a new friend at school as we start a new year, a spouse, or even to finish out this semester and get that hard-earned degree. All of those things can be great, can be wonderful. But what we most need is grace and peace. Human beings were made in God's image to be in a loving relationship with Him but we chose to rebel. You can learn more about that in the first book of the Bible in the third chapter, Genesis chapter 3. Without exception, all people have rejected God's good rule in favor of our own rule. The biblical word for that, of course, is sin. Sin is often the foolishness of turning something that's good into an ultimate thing. It's taking something good and making it the object of our worship, our highest aspiration. Maybe an illustration would help. 
Imagine a couple that's been married for seven, eight, nine years, and they got married to spend the rest of their lives together to make babies, to raise little creatures, develop them, send them off to serve and help and better God's world. But three, four, five, six years into marriage, still no baby. They're trying and trying and trying, and month after month after month is met with heartache and disappointment. So finally, they save all they can. They have in vitro done, and guess what happens? They get the news. They're pregnant. And those nine anxious months go by, and out comes a beautiful little baby girl. That's a good thing, right? It's a wonderful thing. It's a gift from God, in part through the miracle of modern-day medicine. And so that mom and dad begin to build all of life around that little girl, protecting her, feeding her, bathing her, changing her, comforting her as she cries. A wonderful gift from God. But if they are not exceptionally careful, that little gift from God will replace God. That girl... That gift will become the object of every thought, the person of primary importance, the object of worship. That's taking a good thing and turning it into an ultimate thing. Can you think of a way in which you have done that? We all have. That is one of the ways in which we sin. What we most love, we serve. What we most love, we serve. What we see as ultimate becomes the thing we're mastered by. So it's possible for an eight-pound little girl to rule a home, to rule a life. And God isn't for that because we're not ultimately made for that. Maybe another illustration would help. Last night, Michael Phelps won yet another gold medal. This guy's insane, isn't he? How many of you are tired just watching the dude? I mean, this is incredible. He has to have gills. There, there is no way he can do what he does without this. Michael Phelps is the most decorated Olympian of all time. But did you know that after his first and second games, Michael Phelps fell apart. Absolutely fell apart. Developed uh, addictions that brought him to a point of treatment here in Arizona. For a year and a half, his life was so out of control that he couldn't do anything but receive care to fix his addictions. I read an article a few weeks ago by his coach who didn't want him to go to treatment. And here's what he said to him. Michael, you have all the money that anybody your age could ever want or need. You have profound influence in the world. You have free time. And you're the most miserable person I know. How does that happen? Are Olympic medals a a bad thing? No, I'd take one or two. (laughs) 
Olympic medals, that, that amount of discipline, hard work, achievement, it's amazing. It's to be celebrated. But Olympic medals became the master of Michael Phelps. And so when he got the thing he most wanted, he found that he had become a slave to it, owned by it. Therefore, once it was achieved, there was nothing left to live for. A good thing became an ultimate thing. Friends, grace and peace are the only way out of that terrible predicament, which we all in some way, shape, or form have experienced. This predicament of aspiring to something good only to be found out it's actually become our master. Grace and peace are the only way out. And grace and peace come only through Jesus Christ. Ephesians makes clear that grace is a gift from God. It says in Ephesians 2, 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God and not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Peace, interestingly, is also a gift from God. And in a sense, we could say that peace is the result of grace. So in our relationships with each other, we can experience maybe a little taste of that dynamic. Those of you in the room who are, are married, or those of you in the room who have watched married people and chuckled inside at this dynamic, here's how it works. A husband and a wife have a big fight. Eventually, what's going to happen? The husband's going to recognize he messed up. <laughs> and husband's going to have to come home, and if he's wise, he's going to say the words, I'm sorry. So men in the room, married or not married, let's try that together. You, you ready? I'm sorry. Great job. Some of you, the, the gal next to you is... I never thought I'd hear those words. <laughs> so he's going to come home. He's going to say, I'm sorry. And the wife's going to say, I forgive you. I forgive you. What's happening there? What's happening? The, the husband is admitting failure, sin. And the wife is giving grace. And as she gives grace, what happens? Peace is restored. Harmony returns. That gives us a little tiny picture of what happens when a person becomes a Christian. Only it's not first that the person comes and says, I'm sorry. It's that God gives grace. And that God giving of grace that isn't earned or deserved propels a person to see I have failed him. And that grace is so wonderful and amazing and overwhelming that in response to him choosing to extend that grace, then I will say, God, I am sorry. I have made a good thing, an ultimate thing. I've put myself on the throne. And that in return brings peace. Friends, that is quite simply what we call the gospel. We deserve punishment forever, 
And yet God chooses through Christ to give grace and peace. Once you turn to Christ, there becomes massive change. Where there was war and alienation, there becomes grace and peace. Where there was darkness, there's light. Where there's captivity, there's freedom. Where there's wrath, there's now love and grace and peace. And many of us in the room have experienced this, haven't we? It's marvelous. That's why we get together Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and sing about it over and over and over because we need to be reminded again and again and again. Brothers and sisters, the very one we rebelled against chose to himself become the substitute. And Paul, as he's introducing his greeting in the letter, is conjuring up all of these glorious images. If you're here today and you've never experienced this grace and peace, we would love to tell you about it. Likely, the person who brought you or someone sitting near you is a believer who has found this to be true. So ask them about it. Or I'll be out on the patio after our gathering. I'd love to share more with you about Jesus. Now look with me at verse 2. It says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, in very deep and profound ways, Christianity is about our, not my. We, not me. Yes, we must turn to Christ individually from our sin and trust Him. No one in this room who is a follower of Jesus was born a follower of Jesus. You don't become a Christian by proxy or by having parents who are or a friend or a roommate who is. You must personally trust Jesus. But while we experience grace and peace individually for the very first time, the work that God is doing is a collective work. He's rescuing a people for himself. So church, if God is our Father, then what does that make us? His children. Therefore, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, we're not simply spectators in a weekly worship service. We don't come and simply look one way and that's all we need. Honestly, over the last eight weeks, for a bunch of Sundays, I've done that. I've gone to churches where I didn't know anybody or only a few people sat in a chair, sung, listened to a message, and then gone home. And I've realized afresh how much you miss if that's all you get. The image of Christianity is not of sitting as a spectator, but of joining as a brother and sister in a family where real life can be lived, as Eric talked about. Philippians is going to do a phenomenal job of maturing us as a church family. You see, family cares for each other in hardship. Family isn't selfish, but self-giving. Family gives, even to the point of sacrifice, and does so out of gratitude. Family works hard to resolve conflict. 
And as we go through this book, every one of those things I just named, we'll find the book telling us about. We'll see all those things this fall. But I wonder, is there something God wants you to do today that you didn't come prepared for and that you're a little nervous that I'm even bringing up? Maybe you need to tell someone on the transition team or the staff that you are, in fact, trusting Christ and you need to get dunked in those waters behind me. To preach a sermon without words that says, I will stand publicly with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're in conflict with somebody in this room and you need to go and say those words, I'm sorry. Maybe you recognize you've been giving something besides God the place of highest honor. And you need to not only turn to God and admit that, but also tell a trusted brother or sister. Perhaps you need to seek out somebody younger in the faith than you. I see many new faces today, likely new to town. Maybe some of us who are older in the faith could pursue them and say, hey, could I buy you a meal this week? Perhaps God would develop a connection and we could read the scriptures together. Maybe you know you need to learn and apply the Bible more. And so you'll consider coming on Wednesday night at 6.30 to one of these classes. Whatever it is, let's be a church family that acts on grace and peace, that responds to it. Because what you'll find happens is that those things grow in you as you put them to work. So grace and peace, those are the first two words I'd love to talk with you about. Let's go on to the second. Look at verse 1 again with me. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. Saint. Now, if there's a confusing word in Christianity today, that is certainly it. Saints. Some of us in the room, when we hear it, we think of football. (laughs) Others in the room, we think of a special class of Catholics. But I highly doubt many of us think of ourselves. But that's actually what Paul is saying. If you have received grace and peace from God, then friend, right now, not later, not when you quit doing what you did last night, not when you develop better disciplines and habits, but right now, you are a saint. Today. Today. Saints are quite literally holy ones. Now, not holy like your clothes, of course, but holy meaning separated from sin and dedicated to God. That's what it means to be holy. Christians, we have been given the joyful freedom of being set apart from evil, but not just put on kind of neutral ground. 
No, we're now people who are dedicated, set apart to God. You see, saints are not super-Christians venerated by the church long after they're dead. Saints are simply everyday Christians. Saints are not the super-spiritual, the weird ones who go all in for God, while the rest of us kind of just squeak by into heaven. No, saints are regular, normal, everyday Christians. Saints are not the few of us who have actually conquered our bad habits. No, saints are regular, common, blue-collar, everyday Christians. Saints are not primarily people who do something. They are first and foremost people who are something. You see, being a saint isn't first how you act. Rather, it's a position that you're in. It's a gift. You remember grace and peace? Hopefully, we just talked about them. They're gifts from God. And as you receive them from God, then you become part of the family of God, which makes you a saint. People set apart from evil and dedicated to God. But how does that happen? Well, 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us. It says, For our sake, He, that's God the Father, made Him, that's God the Son. So, for our sake, the Father made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Those are some of the most glorious words you will ever hear. That Jesus, as He died took your and my sin so that we could be given his right standing with the Father. At the cross, Jesus' holiness became our holiness, and our sinfulness became his sinfulness. That's great news. So to be called saints means we're people that God the Father sees as having the moral perfection of the Son. That is a permanent, forever, eternal position that you hold. Not a condition you fall in and out of based upon how good you were today or how good you'll be tomorrow. Can you just take a deep breath with those words? But that's not to say that being saints has nothing to do with behavior. In fact, it has everything to do with behavior. Because if, if I'm given that position in Christ, then the most logical thing I can possibly do is seek to love Him. Work hard for Him, in Him, where increasingly that position would be reflected in how we live everyday life. Friends, holiness is not a popular word today, even among Christians. Yet, Philippians is going to make clear to us that the church is the family of God called to display the gospel of God in the way we treat each other, in what we do with our bodies, and in what we think about. 
We are to be people increasingly characterized by holy living. There's to be a stark contrast between the darkness and the selfishness of the world and the light and selflessness of the church. You see, the church, the people of God, are called to embody the gospel we believe. I hope, Church on Mill, that especially in these next three, four, five, six weeks, as tens of thousands of students flock to this area of Tempe, and many people will visit us, we'll get one shot, not to get bigger, frankly, I don't care about that at all, but to display the gospel and how we welcome new people to take an outsider and treat them as an insider. Not simply to be kind people, but to show that Jesus is real, the gospel is true, God is alive, the Spirit is changing lives. So I think we must ask, based on this dear so-and-so, this greeting, brothers and sisters, Are you hiding sin and nurturing behavior that you know is evil? Or perhaps a more accurate way to say that is, what behavior are you hiding? Are you willing today to repent? Are you willing to say to God, you have given me grace and peace. You've named me a saint. And yet I've slipped into this thing again. God, I confess that as sin and now stand in your grace and your peace. Yes, the church has leaders. Do you see them named there? It's to the overseers and deacons. That's to, to the elders the preachers, the teachers, the shepherds, and the, the key servant leaders in the church. Yes, these people are called to set an example. That's why they're pointed out. But notice that little word, all. The letter is written to the whole church. The letter is to all the saints in Christ Jesus. Even while we have a leadership structure and the structure matters, We all share the common experience of God's grace. We're all equals at the cross. And so we're all to pursue living out our saintness that Christ has given us. We're all called to say no to evil and yes to good. So let's pray together, church, this fall as we walk through this book very slowly that God would help us all to mature in Him to be transformed in increasing and surprising ways. So grace and peace, saints. Let's talk about one more word and then sing a song together. That last word is servants. Philippians was originally written in what's called Koine Greek. It was the common language of the day. And in Koine Greek, that word is actually slave. Now that kind of raises the temperature in the room a little bit, doesn't it? 
Paul identified himself and his protege, Timothy, as slaves, self-identified. There's no word here of authority, even though Paul could have claimed that and did in other times. Instead, he simply calls himself a slave. That word had no more positive connotation in our day, in his day, than it does in our day. It sounds odd, does it not? Slave. Conjures up all kinds of nasty images. Especially in a time in America in which we're finding that we're still not over treating each other based on the color of our skin. Slave. Another reason I think it sounds odd is we live in a culture rooted in autonomy. The great American project that started in the 1960s and continues today is the belief that life, joy, and freedom emerge out of individual freedom, out of personal autonomy. Literally everything in this society, and frankly, especially in Arizona, is built on that premise. My life is about me, and all of us will gain whatever we want if we make life about us getting as far as we possibly can. If you don't see that, it's not because it's not here. It's because it would be like telling a fish you're in water. You you just don't know any difference. You can't imagine life any other way. So we prize self-esteem and ego and self-actualization personal greatness. But the truth is, this project has failed and is failing. Is there a single person in this room who was alive in the 60s that would say things are better now than they were then? And, And I don't mean that the 50s were somehow the golden age. That's not what I mean. I mean that The belief that if we look into the future and we make life about freedom and autonomy, then things will get better. That hasn't worked. That is an utter failure, actually. You see, the world hasn't gotten better. Why? It's because the way things actually work is everyone is mastered by something. Everybody. It's impossible not to be. There is no such thing as personal autonomy and individual freedom. In the sense of libertarian, I can do whatever I want to do, and I actually know what's best for me. That does not exist. It is not a thing. Again, let's think of Michael Phelps. Was Michael Phelps free to pursue Olympic gold as the highest aim in his life? Yes. But is Michael Phelps free? No. He's actually mastered by that pursuit. That's why when he got it, it ruined him. And I hope you'll pray for him because he's just attained it again. Can you imagine how miserable you would be if you actually were able to get everything you wanted? Most of us don't have 
that level of success. And so we have the illusion that it's going to work because we spend our whole lives pursuing it. But it doesn't work. Friends, you'll either be mastered by something that will be your ruin, or you will have Jesus as your master, who will give you grace and peace, who will put in you a joy that cannot be bottled up, who will secure your today and your forever, and who will love you supremely. Paul experienced that. That's why he called himself a slave. You see, this Jesus says it's better to give than to receive. He said it's the greatest among us are to be the servants of all. In the kingdom of God, we find that being a servant of Christ is actually freedom. To be a slave of Jesus is actually the highest form of freedom one could ever have. One writer I read this week put it like this, those whom Jesus saves, he enslaves. Oh, isn't that good? Those who Jesus saves, Jesus enslaves. And this, friends, is complete joy. To be a slave of Christ, one completely at the disposal of God himself. Philippians is going to show us is the way to experience life, joy, happiness, freedom. The other way, if you actually succeed at whatever you're pursuing, will be for your coach to tell you, you have everything you could want and you're the most miserable person on the planet. Throughout this letter, we're going to see Paul calling us to the joy of serving God and serving people because it's an identity we've been given in Christ. Slave, Christian, just like you are a saint, you are a slave. So are you serving? Are you giving your life away because Jesus gave his life away for you? If not, then our real desire for you isn't to fill the needed holes in various ministries around the church. Our desire is to see you become who you actually are, to see you be true to yourself. Because if not, you're just fighting a war inside, and you're going to get miserable and more miserable and more miserable the more you try to be something different than who God has made you. Service isn't ultimately about getting things done. It's about being true to who God's made you. Pick somebody in this room this week to do something thoughtful for him or her. Maybe even anonymously, if you're prone to do that for accolades. Watch for a non-Christian at work or school. Go out of your way to do something kind. What you'll find is a little glimmer of light. That little glimmer of light is an invitation to live out your identity in Christ. 
And as you do that, you will experience more and more and more grace and peace. Church, we're a family of holy servants. We are servants of Christ Jesus. We are saints in Christ Jesus precisely because we've been given grace and peace in Christ Jesus. Will you stand with me and let's pray. I will lead us in prayer in just a moment, but before I wonder if as the band comes to lead us in song, if you could take a, just a couple of moments and ask the Lord, if you're a Christian, what would he have you do on, based on what his word has said today? And if you're not, would you consider opening your life to God and asking him to help you come to know who he is? Let's pray. Father, it's amazing. So much is packed in these two little verses. We pray that somehow, supernaturally, you would use these simple words to ignite in us a passion or renew in us that passion to enjoy your grace and peace to recognize the position of being a saint and being a servant that you've given us. I pray for my brothers and sisters that we would act upon what we've heard, that before we leave, we'd communicate with one another. I'm going to pursue this this week. Would you follow up with me? And we pray that as a church, as we study this book this fall, that you, in supernatural ways, through your Spirit, would transform us. That we might more become in our behavior what's true in us already in our position in Christ. That we're a family of holy servants. I pray for those here who are not yet believers that, God, you would guide them. That you'd give them increased understanding. And give them the courage to allow us to answer questions. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.